All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a seat. We're glad to have you. Thank you for the way that you've already been worshiping this morning. It's so good to see everybody. Welcome to East Brainerd. If this is your first time with us, we thank you so much for being here. You can look on the front pew that's there, right there in front of you, and you should see uh, a little code that you can uh, scan, you can type in, depending on if you're new, if you're one of our regular attendees, and let us know that you're here. We appreciate you doing that with your phone and just kind of checking in with us. Again, thanks so much for, for being a part. Glad to be back. You know, last week uh, we were together and had a joint worship. Derek, it was awesome to be able to, uh, to do that. Thanks for um, putting all that together and working with Marco. I know that uh, for Marco and some of the members of our Hispanic families, they're off at Camp to Know Him uh, this weekend for a retreat. Uh, but it was great to be able to worship in English and in Spanish together uh, last week. So again, thanks for doing that. Have you had a good week, Derek? Everything been going well? Fantastic week. It's Man, great. that was great. You got Bailey sitting down here with you. That's cool. Always good. Hey, here's what I want to know from you, though. Uh, this last week, were you an Olympic watcher? I was. I watched some table tennis. And table I watched, tennis? Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's one of those must-see events on the Olympics. I know. Anybody else here tune in for table tennis? Oh, hey. You, you, Me and Steven? Look at that. You, you got a few? You got a few? That, and I watched the U.S. men's basketball team win gold. Hey, got gold with that? Now, yeah, that's right. You can clap for that. It's a good thing. We got gold. That was good. Um, you know, here, here's the deal, though, with that. I already knew they were getting gold even before the game. Uh, does that bother anybody else besides just me? When you know things that are going to happen ahead of time? I mean, I don't know if it bothers you like it does me, but to know the score of a ball game, to know what's going to happen in the Olympics, to, to know what's going to go on in a movie beforehand, that just bothers me. And so sometimes I walk through the house, and, and my kids can testify to this, that if there's something on that I want to see later, I'll go through with my eyes closed going, la, 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 la. I don't want to know what's happening. I don't want to know the score. All right, now some of you gave Derek some love about watching table tennis with him, even though you really didn't. How many of, the, how many of those of you, you've walked to the house doing the same thing? Can I get somebody else? Anybody want to show me? One, two people. Okay, you got more love with the table tennis. But that's what I do. And it's why I've never understood why those of you who like to read, why you read, why you read a book and then you actually go watch the movie. I mean, you know what's going to happen, Right? I mean, there's no surprise, there's no suspense, and if, if the movie by chance turns out to be any way different from the book, you know what you guys do when you leave. You complain about it. I mean, you light up social media. It was nothing like the book. You know, just once, I would love for people to read the book, go and watch the film, it'd be completely different from the book, and then you walk out going, that was amazing. Man, it was nothing like the book. I had no idea. I was surprised the whole time. I like to be surprised. I like that. It's why the Olympics just, you know, it's just been a letdown a little bit for me this year. I mean, each morning my phone would alert me to, to who had already won medals in Tokyo, and, and I would get this alert that would say, while you were sleeping, you know, and it would tell me all the things that happened. And, and then I, I think, well, do I really want to watch the replay if I already know what's going to go on? And so I found myself, like Derek, looking for those obscure events that my phone did not tell me you know, who won. Pole vaulting. My phone never told me who won pole vaulting. Javelin throw. Did you know that, that India won their first gold medal in the Summer Olympics in track for the javelin throw? I mean, that was cool. Your phone didn't tell you that, did it? Now, that was a great surprise. I liked it. But everything else I knew. 
I knew that Simone Biles, she was going to step aside from, from her contest. I mean, and then I turned it on, and sure enough, yep, no surprise there. I knew that last night, the, the men's U.S. 4x400 relay, they were going to take gold and turned it on, and yep, they did. But then on, on Tuesday, August 3rd, I, I read an AP article that caught my attention. The headline said, Sumo Scare. Riders say horses might be spooked by statue. Well, I thought that was pretty interesting. So I read a little more. Here's what Jake Siner, here's what he wrote. Equestrian jumpers aren't keen on surprises, neither are their horses, and it takes years of training to keep them from getting spooked. Of course, no horse in Tuesday night's Olympic jumping qualifier had ever seen anything like obstacle number 10. As you come around, you see a big guy's bottom, British writer Henry Charles said. There's a lot to look at, Ireland's C.N. O'Connor also said. It's very realistic, echoed Israel's Teddy Block. Now, I had to tune in for this. <laughs> they really had that statue sitting there. I mean, no wonder the horses came around the curb and were like, whoa, <laughs> hang on there, hang on there, Sparky. I am not, I'm not doing this. The writers, the article continues, said that the life-size sumo wrestler positioned next to the 10th obstacle on the 14th jump at the Olympic course may have distracted several horses in qualifying for the individual jumping on Tuesday night. Now, when I saw this, I thought, they should put that statue in more events, right? I mean, I would tune in for that even if I knew who was going to win. I would watch that. I mean, think about water polo, right? I mean, just put, put that dude in the net, right? Wouldn't that be awesome to try to see him get that ball around? Or, or how about hurdles? Right? I mean, wouldn't you want to see who's able to hurdle the sumo? But, but here is what, I mean, I know some of you, you tune into the gymnastics anyway, but what if this guy, <laughs> what if you put him on the beam? <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, it, didn't, it wouldn't matter if your phone alerted you early or not. It wouldn't matter if you knew who got gold. You would tune in for that. That is solid gold right there. That's what that is. <laughs> Because some stories, man, they're just too good. Oh, they're just too good to miss, you know? And if, if you think about it, if you think about it, when you do know what's going to happen, it does take a little bit of the suspense away. But there are some things that you just still want to experience, whether the sumo guy is there or not, because it's just that good. And that brings us to our, to our story that we're going to look at this morning in Scripture. Now look, I know the majority of you have already heard the story about this dude named Jonah, and a big fish. You know the story. But I need for you to experience it one more time. So here's what I want everybody to do. Uh, go ahead, take out your Bible, take out your phone, take out your um, iPad, whatever it is that you like to pull up the Holy Scriptures on. And uh, find Jonah. It's in your Old Testament. It's kind of hidden there in some of those prophets. Find Jonah. Go ahead and find chapter 1. All right, I want you to turn there. I want you to find chapter 1. And then once you get there, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. You know, all communicators try to figure out new ways to, to share old material. And so close your eyes and consider perhaps 
Consider this story for the first time. You're in the inner part of a ship. It's dark and it's musty. Go ahead while your eyes are closed. I want you to lick your lips because you can taste the salt water that's there. And if you listen closely, you can hear the shouts of, of the sailors that are topside. You begin to grow accustomed to the pitch of the vessel and you're almost able to get to sleep when all of a sudden you realize that you're not alone. There's somebody else that's there, that's there in the darkness and you can't see and so you cry out, who's there? I am, it's Jonah. Don't be afraid, I'm a good man. At least I think I am, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the land, and the sea. In the past, I've followed the Lord's leading. I've been his spokesman. But a few days ago, I found out that he wants me to go to Nineveh. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but that's the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians are an evil and ruthless people. More than once, they have destroyed my homeland. In fact, just a few months ago, Assyria invaded Israel and our king made every wealthy Israelite pay 50 shekels of silver to appease the Assyrian king. They are nothing but arrogant bullies. And I know my Lord, even though he wants me to go and announce his judgment on the people, if they repent, he will forgive. And that's not, well, that's just not what I think should happen. The Lord said go, but I said no. I'm tired, confused, angry, and exhausted. I just want the Lord and everyone to leave me alone. As you open up your eyes, how many of you can, how many of you can just relate to Jonah? How many of you just relate? I mean, because you've had a calling from God, there's an expectation that you feel upon your shoulders. And yet you've just been struggling, you've just been fighting, and you've just been, in truth, running away from it. That's what Jonah is doing. He's run from the call. He's run from the expectation of his God. You see, earlier he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship that was leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord. Now look, you've got to hand it. You've got to hand it to Jonah. I mean, he's serious about this whole running thing. Because... He doesn't just go and sign up for a pleasure cruise. He actually signs up and boards a ship that is going to go 3,000 miles away from Nineveh. I want you to think about this. I want you to picture it in your mind. He goes down to Joppa. He's got 500 miles that he can go to Nineveh, but he decides, no, 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 I'm going to go 2,500 miles to the other side of the world. He's thinking, I'm going to put as much distance as possible between myself and God's expectations. I mean, he's hoping that he can get far enough away from God that God somehow is going to look around at Joppa and Joppa is like, well, where did Jonah go? <laughs> I mean, he was here one minute and now I look and I'm like, whoop, poof, he's gone. What happened to him? Well, I guess I'm going to have to go find somebody else to do this whole Nineveh thing. I don't know, maybe you're doing the same thing. Maybe you're hoping that God is looking for you somewhere else. Maybe you're hoping that you could just come in here today and you could just hide among all these people. And you hope that nobody would really talk to you, 
Hope that nobody's going to ask you, hey, are you new to town? Hope nobody would say, hey, do you go to church somewhere? Or... You just want to hide. You just want the Lord and everyone else to leave you alone. Let me remind you of the words that we looked at earlier from Psalm 139. At the beginning of the text, it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away and you see me travel. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. But if I go down to the grave, well, you are there. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. And the question then for us is, well, why do we try, right? I mean, why do we try to hide from God and his expectations? And I think it kind of goes back to this. We have all been running and hiding from God since the very beginning. You know, I was saying that we've been, we've been running, we've been hiding from God all since the very beginning. There's a scripture I want you to consider from Genesis. And it says in Genesis 3 and verse 8, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. You see, sin sent us all into hiding. We've been running from God ever since. And actually, we've kind of learned how to hide from a very young age. See, there was a time when we could not take our son Micah to Walmart. Now, here's what happens, and those of you that have grown up as preacher kids, you know, there's always these stories that come up, and, and Micah thought that he was past these. He's 16 now, and he thought, you know, uh, Dad's not going to talk about me anymore, but this is the perfect time to embarrass your children, and so I'm going to take advantage of that. We would take Micah to Walmart, and he would go, and he would hide in the midst of the clothes racks, okay? Anybody else have kids here that did that? Right? Yeah. See, Micah, look, you're not alone. I mean, he would go in and he would hide in the clothes racks. And there was one time that, uh, that his mom was looking all around. You know, it's like, well, where did he go? And he's in the clothes rack and he's not coming because he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay at Walmart. I mean, Walmart was, was, I mean, it's like Wally World, right? I mean, it's just a great place. And so he wanted to stay and so he was hiding. And guys, we hide because we don't want to leave either. We don't want to leave our addictions, and we don't want to leave our relationships. We don't want to leave our pride or our comfort. We don't want to leave our money. We, we don't want to have to, to lose face. We don't want to have to die to self. We don't want to have to be authentic. We hide because we don't want to go where God is sending us. See, God has asked you to, he's asked you to face the truth of your own hypocrisy. He's asked you to get on with your life after the divorce. He has asked you to accept those who are different from you. He's asked you to make peace. He's asked you to be a father to your children. He's asked you to fight for your marriage. He has asked you to surrender. Surrender to him in baptism. He's asked that you display a servant heart. He's asked that you use your money for kingdom endeavors. He's asked that, that you take in a child that's not your own, that you befriend the outcast at school. He's asked that you mentor a teen mother, that you lay aside your selfishness and pride. He's asked that you stop your gossiping and, and stop creating dissension. He's asked that you be his spokesperson. He's asked that you go to Nineveh. And he said, but Chris, it's just not that easy. But listen, whoever said anything about it being easy when it comes to following God? Going where God sends has never been about our own comfort, and it's always been about his kingdom. 
You see, he creates these moments of inner conflict in order to cause us to wrestle with decisions as to whether or not we are going to believe in the king more than we believe in ourselves. And so it says in verse 4 that God literally picked up a great wind and he hurled it into the sea. And this is how we relate. We've all experienced the consequences when we try to run away from God's expectations. We all go through these stormy patches in life, and sometimes we wonder, how much, though, are these storms the consequences of our own making? I mean, what if you just listened to God? What if you just listened to God and just obeyed your parents? Or what if you just guarded your purity? Or what if you hadn't gone to bed angry? Or what if you, what if you just not gotten in that car? Or what if you'd never taken the first drink? You see, but instead of facing God and our fears, we run and we hide and we sleep. But the storm, it just keeps on going. And then there are other people that get caught up in the churning. When you continue reading there in chapter 1 and verse 5, you read about how the sailors, I mean, the weather started getting rough and the tiny ship was tossed. And if it wasn't for the courage of the fearless crew, well, they were going to be lost, right? I mean, that's what was going to take place. They're fighting to keep the ship together. And they're praying to their gods. And they're looking for someone to assign blame. And then finally in verse 7, they identify the culprit. And it's Jonah. It's the one that's there, right there beside us in the boat, sulking. And he's to blame for the condition. And they ask him in verse 10, they say, why did you do it? You told us that you were running from your God. We didn't think it was that big of a deal. But apparently your God gets really upset when you don't do what he asked you to do. Why did you do it? And maybe you've asked that question before. Maybe some of you are here and you're in a storm because of the choices that other people made. It's because of the choice your wife made or your children is because of the choice your business partner made. And you've asked that question, and you've said, why did you do it? I mean, why did you go there? Why did you cause this for us? The sailors, they're going to row hard for the shore, but they try to outrun the storm, and yet it just doesn't happen. And they row, and they go, and they go, and long enough, eventually, they come to the same conclusion. There's just no use. There's no use trying. There's no use fighting. There's no use hiding. And you know, it's not uncommon to reach the point where you just want to give up. I mean, let's just be transparent and let's just be honest, okay? Can we do that in church? Can, can we just say that there, all come, there comes times for all of us where we just want to say, you know what, I'm just over with this. And maybe it's because you've disobeyed God. Maybe it's because you feel guilty. Maybe it's because it's just one storm after another. And finally, Jonah just says, if you'll throw me into the sea, I bet it'll all stop. But did you know that most Israelites couldn't swim? I mean, we look at this and it's like, okay, Jonah's going to give it the, his best shot, right? The old college try. I mean, he's going to get in there and if he can make it to shore, it's going to be great. Most Israelites, they didn't have pools in their backyard. All right, they didn't know how to swim. And so Jonah is thinking that it's either Nineveh or it's the ocean. And either way, I'm going to die. So just throw me overboard. Now let me speak to you just for a moment I just want to speak to those of you who are here and you feel like that you're in that, that storm and you've resigned yourself to just being miserable. Or maybe you believe that there is just no hope. You can't see how you can move past it and how anything else can change. And maybe you've decided just to end it. I mean, you decide to end your marriage, to quit the job search, to stop going to counseling. Maybe you've even decided to walk away from church. You came today saying, all right, I'm going to go one more time, but this is it. You know, you can throw yourself into the ocean and the storm might cease, but there's still one big problem. 
you can't swim. And you might even feel that the storms are so severe that the only way to find peace is truly to end it all. But all you've done is swap one problem for another. You see, the storm might have stopped for the moment, but you're still refusing to be faithful to God. And this is what I want you to hear this morning. Even at those moments when your faith is weakest, God does not want you to drown. Can you believe that? In verse 17, we read that the Lord prepared a great fish. And I know you thought that that whole fish thing, you thought that whole fish story, you thought that was a way to punish a prophet that didn't want to go and speak the message of the Lord. That's not it. The great fish was there because the prophet of God couldn't swim. And the prophet of God needed rescue. And the prophet of God needed somewhere to realize, you know what? God does care about me. And God can use me. And there is a future. You see, God had no intention of letting Jonah go under. And I wonder if it could be that, that God has provided this church as your fish. Could it be that it's your Bible? Could it be that it's your Bible class? Could it be it's a small group that you're a part of that he has provided as a way to save you from yourself? Maybe he's going to use a book. Maybe it's a sunset. Maybe it's a song that you see online. I don't know if you've seen where Derek, he, he puts different songs online periodically, some that he, he puts together himself, others that he covers. Maybe it's that that you see and God says, look, I'm here to rescue you. Maybe it's a story on Instagram. And you see somebody else's feed and you see somebody that's going through something that's very similar to what you're experiencing and you realize that you can hold on. Or maybe it is just a monster that God sends in your direction. It's something that scares you to death. Maybe it's a job transfer or it's a relationship breakup. Maybe it's an illness, a difficult life lesson. Guys, maybe it has been this pandemic that we have been suffering through that God says, I'm going to use this as an avenue to rescue you. And to turn your eyes back to me. You see, somehow, in some way, God is trying to rescue you from yourself by opening your eyes to Jesus Christ. And so centuries ago, another reluctant preacher wrote to a group of struggling believers, and he says, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. And indeed, the right time is now. He says, today is the day of salvation. In her book, Chicken Soup for the Woman's Soul, Lewis Kruger tells the story of her, her son, Justin Carl. He was four years old, and he came to his parents and said, you know what, I want to run away. It had been one of those hectic weeks. I mean, mom and dad were going in all kinds of different directions, and, and Justin had just gotten in all kinds of trouble, right? I mean, teens, you guys know what this is like. I mean, you think you're just minding your own business. You think you're doing things the way you're supposed to. But mom and dad has had a really difficult week. And it seems like that nothing that you say, nothing you can do can be right. And maybe you've been fed up before and you're like, hey, I am out of here. And I'm going to go live with the Robertsons because they won't know I'm there. You know, they got all those kids. I mean, one more hanging out. I'll just hang out in the pool house and it's going to be great. All right? Well, that's what was going on with Justin. And he decided four years old that he's going to run away from home. And so he tells his mom of his plans. And she says, all right, you can run away from home. And she takes him to the bedroom and begins packing his bags. Then they walk into her bedroom and she pulls out a suitcase. And 
And she says, now look, I'm going to need to make sure that I get the right clothes too. Is it going to be cold where we're going or is it going to be hot? And he said, wait a minute, I don't understand. I'm running away. What are you doing? His mom said, you know, if you're going to run away from home, then mom was going with you. Because I'd never want you to be alone. I love you too much. Friends, your God loves you too much to let you run away alone. And like Jonah, he's pursued you to this very place today. And I just want to ask if you're willing to stop running. If you're willing to stop hiding. Isn't it time that you stop sinking? You see, the real reason that you know Jonah's story so well is not because you've heard it before in Sunday school or in a sermon, but because you live it. You are Jonah. You've tried to avoid God's call on your life. You've lived with the consequences of disobedience. There have been moments that you've wanted to give give up. You are a runner this morning in need of rest. You're a hider that needs to be found. You're a drowning man. You're a drowning woman that's in need of rescue. And what I want us to do now, I just want us to sing, sing a little bit together to encourage one another. And while we're singing, I just want you to consider what your story could be like if you just stopped. If you stopped running. If you stopped hiding. What could your life story be if you just did what God has asked you to do? And while we're singing, if you'd like for someone to talk with you and pray with you concerning your Jonah existence, out in our lobby we have a prayer room just outside the auditorium doors. And one or more of our shepherds will be there and would love to speak with you in private. Friends, you're Jonah. I'm Jonah. And God knows exactly where we are. And he says, today is the day of your salvation. So why don't we just get up and go and do what God has asked us to do. Stand with all the Jonas around you and let's sing.